right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time sex. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. It's been a busy offseason so far for KU. A lot of things have happened. We're making a a really big deal out of a lot of them. The consequences that these actions may have, people leaving, people coming. This is the biggest one so far. Ochai Baji has declared for the NBA draft. He will hire an agent. He will still be able to retain his eligibility if he so chooses to come back for his senior year. I think we kind of knew this was coming. We knew he was going to test the draft waters. Now it's officially happened, and I wouldn't expect to have any sort of clarity on that not for weeks, but for months. He has until mid-July to decide whether or not he wants to come back. July 19th, so that's over three months. Now, KU, Bill Self, and this coaching staff have to continue recruiting and do so in a manner that would suggest that Ochai's not coming back. You cannot wait until July 19th for him to make that decision and then say, okay, well, now we'll go get somebody. You're going to fill this roster. Like by by the, by July nineteenth, you know what's going to happen? KU won't have a roster spot open for Ochai. Now they'll make one for him. I don't know who that will be, but it's going to happen. And it may not be that hey, we're going to kick somebody off. It may be as simple as this guy's coming back and playing thirty five minutes a game. You want to be here or not? Because I'd imagine right now, I mean KU's got two scholarships available. Because what also happened yesterday before the Ochai news was that Latrell Giselle entered the transfer portal. That news was not surprising whatsoever. So you've got two scholarships remaining, and I would imagine this staff is going to work pretty swiftly to try and get them filled. The question becomes, what is the emphasis on the recruiting trail, knowing that if Ochai doesn't come back, that's a pretty big loss because you're not going to be able to replicate what he brings with anybody that you could potentially add. Yeah, I mean, he's different than everybody. Like, okay, sure, you can say we have the shooting of Christian Brown. He can maybe replace the shooting of Ochai Agbaji, although Ochai was better than him shooting the ball. Um, You could say that, oh, you know, if, I don't know, if somebody develops into a really good defensive player, like maybe we can, but it's hard to combine both of those and the versatility he gave you that he could play as the two, he could play as the three, he could play even as the four. Not that they're really going to need that from him if he did come back. It's hard to replace that with one guy, and especially for a team that, you know, it's already going to be difficult enough trying to figure out who's going to crack the rotation and play every day with all these guys they have coming in who seemingly could play right away for them. It would be really nice to have one guy who could kind of do all that stuff for you already. So right now the two names that KU is most heavily linked to on the recruiting trail are Christian Bishop, the forward from Creighton, and Ty Ty Washington, the senior point guard from Phoenix. Washington's been the one name I think people are most excited about because 
He's a top 40 recruit, and he's a point guard. He can provide shooting. He can provide playmaking, both of which were things that you sorely needed last year. But what KU has already added, let's just take some inventory. You have added Bobby Pettiford, who is a fringe top 100 player, maybe competes for a starting job, more than likely going to be a backup point guard, if not more of a project. You've also added Cam Martin, a three-time Division II All-American, who I would imagine is going to compete for backup big minutes behind Dave. Then you've got Joseph Yesifu. And he's the only guy of the three that you've added so far that I would say, without much hesitation, is not just going to play next year, he's going to play a big role. I fully expect him to be a starter on next year's team, with or without Ochai coming back. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to go as far as starter. He was sixth man of the year, and I know you mentioned the other day that how many minutes he played for them down the stretch and stuff. I'm not saying that he's not going to play a sizable role. I do agree. He's going to give you 25, 30 minutes a night. But I wouldn't be surprised if, given that he won that sixth man of the year, and when you think about, you know, especially if they bring in another guard, you bring in Ty Ty Washington, do you start Ty Ty Washington, Dewan Harris, or Ty Ty Washington and Bryce Thompson together? And then Yesifu is kind of that guy off the bench who's like your classic sixth-man role microwave-type scorer off the bench. Maybe, but it's just like he's one of those guys with the offers that he had elsewhere, I feel like he came here to start. I feel like he's good enough to start, too. That's it. I mean, it's as simple as that to me. He is a shot maker. He is a bucket getter. This team needs that. Because if you're not starting him, I mean, if we're just going based off the roster that you have right now, if you're going to start Dewan Harris over him with Christian Brown and Ochai, I mean, we've seen that. It wasn't very dynamic. It works at times. I think this team needs a spark in the starting lineup. There's too many guys who want to sort of placate to others and want to divert attention away. He is not that. He is a sort of alpha male that I think KU wants on the court. Ball handling. Um, and I include, I would say even if Ty Ty Washington comes on, yes, if who's still a starter. But as we look at what KU needs right now, with Ochai potentially out of the fold, it really makes you wonder exactly exactly what is uh, is going to happen here. We've got something coming across the board uh, from Jalen Wilson. He just tweeted this out. Quote, I'm grateful to say that with play- prayer and discussion with Coach Self and my family, I will test the NBA draft process. I'm excited for the opportunity to learn, work out, and receive valuable feedback on my game that will allow me to make a solid decision on whether to remain in the draft or return to the University of Kansas for my sophomore year. I'm ready to get to work and have put all things in God's hands. That is directly from Jalen Wilson. That kind of sounds like to me he's just going to test for the feedback. I mean, nowhere in there did it say, I don't know, like... You could read into in between the lines on Ochai's one and see at the end and be like, oh, it was nice playing in front of you all. Like, I wish I could play in front of you again and kind of take that as, oh, he's gone. I've seen other players who have done the same thing and then they end up coming back. So I wouldn't really read the tea leaves on any of those. But certainly if you are comparing the two, you would definitely say Jalen's Will- Jalen Wilson's was stronger toward, yeah, I'm just kind of testing. Yeah, I would think if I were to put Ochai at 70-30 returning, I would put Jalen at 90-10 returning. I would agree with that. Because I, I haven't seen anybody saying that this guy's a draft pick. No. First or second round. At least with Ochai, it's like, oh, if he comes back, maybe next year he has a good season. He could be a late first or something. Yeah. You know, there's that potential there. So, again, 
Jalen has months to make his decision, which means you now have three scholarships available. And you could say, well, they're not going to fill them all. Maybe, but the last thing you want to do is get burnt and leave them open, and then you get surprised by a decision that's made. Yeah, I mean, you can leave one open, hypothetically, because we've seen them go into seasons where they only have 12 guys. So maybe you do that. But yeah, I I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And, you know, if you get to a situation where, oh, hey, I want to come back, you know, sometimes it's just you either got to stay in the draft and it's like, sorry, we recruited into you or somebody's going to have to change up their decision. I, I know it's unfortunate and you don't like it to happen that way. But as Jesse Newell said earlier this week, like this is big time college basketball. You want to make a spot for somebody, you make a spot for them. And I w- I'll tell you this right now. Um, if if there have to be if if you can go out and get Ty Ty Washington and you can get Christian Bishop, what's going to happen is that f- the some of the incoming freshmen are going to leave. Like guys who are looking at it and saying, "Oh, I went from being able to maybe be a role player, who knows, maybe even play 15 to 20 minutes a game to I'm not going to play it all this year." And I'll be lucky to play next year. Like I'm just speculating here, but like you're not keeping all those guys. If you go out and get and get Bishop and Ty Ty Washington, two guys who will play, you're gonna lose some dudes. You're going to lose some dudes. Maybe it's Dewan Harris. Maybe it's Christian Brown. Maybe it's Bryce Thompson. Maybe it's Zach Clements. Maybe it's KJ Adams. They're not all gonna sit around. And that and that's part of it. That is, as you said, mentioning Jesse Newell, that is big business college basketball. We'll talk more about this on the other side, but first, let's get to a quick Masters update. This episode is brought to you by Tommy's Express Car Wash. Join the Tommy Club. You can download the Tommy Club app and enjoy endless washing for one low price, Derek. That means unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, which, by the way, I've taken advantage of. It's kind of like the the express lane on the highway. You don't necessarily like to lord over everybody else, but when you're zooming through and getting in to get your car washed first, like that's why it's called Tommy's Express, right? You get unlimited access to all their locations, unlimited guest service, and perhaps most importantly, unlimited happiness, Derek. And I think that's something that we just don't emphasize nearly enough in life. I'm looking at your car right now. I'm thinking it could maybe use a trip to Tommy's Express. What do you got going on later? Thinking maybe you should stop there on your way home. You going to at least consider it? I will absolutely be going to Tommy's Express car wash. Now, the, the outside of your car, the exterior, it does look okay. Where my concern begins is the interior of your car. Yeah. When you have I, a, I don't a think dog. I don't think the inside of that car has seen a deep cleaning in quite some time. No, when you have a dog, when you have a golden retriever, you got hair everywhere. And they have those vacuums that... You know, it's going to get out for you. So, yeah, I'm definitely making an appointment. Tommy's Express Car Wash. What I love about the the vacuums at Tommy's Express, the cord comes down from the top. So you're not having to try and wrap it around your car and getting yourself into a pretzel. No, very flexible vacuums. You want to go to the left side of the car, the right side of your car. You're perfectly good. Tommy's Express Car Wash. Wash, rinse, repeat. If you own a large chunk of land, you're probably always fixing things or hauling stuff around. You might be stuck using your pickup. That is overkill. Or using a golf cart or small four-wheelers, which can't always get to those muddy places or carry everything you need. 
CycleZone Power Sports carries a line of workhorse side-by-sides called the Defender. Payloads up to 1,700 pounds, towing capacity up to 3,000 pounds, perfect for carrying everything you need. Defenders feature three- and six-person models with an optional enclosure so you can keep cool or warm in whatever weather. And even though these things pack up to 82 horsepower, they're super quiet, which means they're perfect for hunting, especially if you get it in camo. Stop by CycleZone Power Sports in North Topeka and check out the Can-Am Defenders. I'm Nick Schwert. He's Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. So in the past 24 hours, both Ochai Baji and Jalen Wilson have said that they are going to go test the NBA waters. I am of the belief that Ochai more likely to stay in the draft than Jalen. But if I were a betting man, I would guess that they will both be back. That doesn't change the fact that in the meantime, Bill Self and this coaching staff have to act as if they're both going to be gone, which means going out and hitting the recruiting trail. Now, some of the names you've already heard will come in and help Kansas right away. Christian Bishop is the first one I want to focus on. He is a forward from Creighton. He is from the Kansas City area. And for the past week and a half, he has been heavily linked to coming to Kansas uh, from numerous people. Now, I know he's going to be highly recruited. The guy at last year at Creighton averaged 11 points, six rebounds per game. He also shot 68% from the field. Now, he's only listed at six foot seven, 220, but he primarily played the five at Creighton. I don't know exactly how that will work at Kansas, if he could be just simply a big in a five-guard lineup or if you'll try to play him next to Dave. We just don't have a lot to go off of in terms of him playing like that. The big question here for me is fit. Is there fit? And it's not just with Christian Bishop. You ask this question with everybody that you would bring along. Because right now, I am looking at the front court for KU, the guys that they currently have in tow, the four and the five spot. You are looking at, at the five, David McCormick, Mitch Lightfoot, if he elects to stay, Sidney Curry, Cam Martin. It's five guys. Zach Clements is a stretch four or five. If Jalen Wilson comes back, he's on that four line as well. K.J. Adams would be a four. Christian Bishop, if he comes along, he's a four or five. That's eight guys. That is eight guys. That's too many. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's too many like, oh, you can't have that many guys. I'm saying it's too many like they're not all going to stay because you're not going to have eight big men who all think they have a chance at playing. So let's just do process by elimination. First one, Mitch will probably be gone. I think Bill Self's going to have an honest conversation with him and say, dude, you are not going to play. You're not. I'll help you find a home. I'll help you get wherever you want to go. I know Mitch wants to be here, but he's not going to play next year. Well, but what if he's fine with that? You know, what if for that's him he fine. just wants and to live the Kansas experience? Then, then that's fine. Then that's I think fine. that's closer to what it but is. But either way, I think you have to remove him from the equation of playing time. Agreed. Even if you do that, okay, there's still seven guys. Sidney Curry, Juco player, he is a five. A little bit undersized, but he's got some explosive and athleticism. Cam Martin is a Division II All-American. And I had a chance to talk to him last night and talking about uh, the, what he expects to be different. And he was talking about how he got double-teamed and triple-teamed every single time he had the ball in Division Three. And I said, well, do you expect that to be any different? Do you expect it to be a little bit easier in some regards now that you're not going to be getting all that attention? He said, I was joking with my coach, Jeff Boshi, about it. And I said, you know, I don't think anybody can guard me one-on-one. And there was only two times in three years where I got guarded one-on-one. And it was by the same team twice in back-to-back games. First game, he scored 54, career high. Second game, he scored 45. Those are the only two teams who ever guarded him one-on-one, and he went for 54 and 45. Now, I'm not saying he's going to do that at Kansas, but he I'll tell you one thing. I'll give him credit for this. He is supremely confident 
that his skill set is going to be able to translate to the next level. He is not coming to Kansas to sit on the bench. Now, we'll see how it actually plays out, but this is a guy who is coming here expecting to play a significant role on this Kansas team. But again, the question becomes, can he play next to Dave, or is he going to be a backup big? Because he's not going to start over Dave. I think we know that much. So you're either looking at him being a backup big or a four. Same thing with Sidney Curry. You're either going to be a backup big or you're not going to play because I don't see either of those guys playing next to Dave. Would you agree with the thing I said like a week ago? This is trending in the direction of the roster construction. It's going to be hard for Bill Self not to play two bigs this year. I would agree with that, but I mean... If it doesn't work, he ain't going to keep doing it. No, I know. I'm not saying he's going to play. See, I don't think you can do do the Martin thing or the Curry thing next to him. I don't think that's going to work. When I say two bigs, like we've kind of uh, evolved from what we mean by that second big. Like I would count Jason Wilson in that discussion of, oh, that's a two big lineup with Wilson and McCormick almost. I would kind of count, um, you know, Christian Bishop, even though he's 6'7", 220. Like that's a two big lineup with him and Dave. I, think I feel like whoever is at that four spot needs to be able to shoot the ball, though. Yeah, and that's why the Bishop one's interesting. Because he doesn't shoot. Right, so I kind of view that addition as if he's coming in expecting to you know, maybe play 30 minutes a game this year, I don't think that's in the cards. But he has two years left of eligibility. So what if he comes in this year thinking that, you know, this year maybe I'll be a role player, a good big off the bench for this team, and then a year after that, David McCormick will be gone. Maybe I can kind of fill into a bigger role at that point. Well, think about it. Look at it this way. He only played 23 minutes a game right. for Creighton. So I don't think you're going from Creighton to Kansas expecting to play more. Yeah. And so here's how I view him. He would be a perfect big to pair with either Jalen Wilson or Cam Martin. Specifically with Cam Martin. Let's say Cam Martin maybe only gets, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes off the bench. You pair them together. Because here's why. On the offensive side of the court, Cam Martin can basically play the four because he's a stretch. But on the defensive side, if Cam Martin's a four, he's going to get toasted on defense. Yeah. So now on defense, Cam Martin plays the five, Bishop plays the four. But on offense, Bishop plays the five because he's efficient down low. Martin plays the four. It's kind of an inversion. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So they become a good match for each other. And it's the same thing with Jalen Wilson. So maybe you can get 20 minutes from Christian Bishop just matching him with specific pairings of Cam Martin and Jalen Wilson. I like it. I like it. You know, it's kind of like what what Duke has done with with Matthew Hurt, right? They can kind of move him all over. They can play him as a four if he's going to play next to a true big like he was at the end of the year with uh, Mark Williams, I believe his name was. Um, if you're going to play him with a less traditional big, then just put him at the five, right? Create a mismatch wherever you can. Play into these kids' skill sets. Don't try to fit a a square peg into a round hole. Specifically with Ochai, though. Ochai, to me, leaves a big void you're not going to fill, no matter what you get or who you add. You can't replicate that. All you can do is hope that a guy like Christian Brown can become a close to a version of Ochai. You're not going and getting an Ochai fill-in, and you don't have anybody else on the roster that really fills that void. I mean, we saw those two guys play effectively the same role. Spot-up shooters, knock-down shots, keep defenses honest. One of those guys did it a hell of a lot better than the other one, and he's the one who just tested the NBA waters. I kind of view it as it's not going to be like a – because of that, like you said, you're not going to be able to fill it. I view it as an incongruent fill-in to where, you know, okay, sure, Christian Brown's going to provide the shooting. But I think by losing Ochai, if he does stay in the draft, 
you're not going to go out on the recruiting market and bring in another wing. I don't know. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll get that mood kid. Or yeah, he already from, committed to Arkansas. Okay, well, then never mind. Um, maybe they'll go get some other wings. But I think it's more likely Bill Self would say, okay, well, if we lost this wing, we'll just play down to where we'll say, instead of playing, we'll do like Baylor did. Instead of them having like a, a small forward, Baylor just played three point guards, basically. You know, and I, I think that's what what Bill Self would do. He'd just say, okay, sure. Christian Brown, like, you're going to be a wing out there. But Bryce Thompson, kind of a, a combo guard. Uh, Bobby Pettiford or uh, Joseph Yesifu, like, any of those guys, we'll play them together, you know? And that'll be our replacement because we're not going to be able to place Ochai for what he is. Yeah, you're probably right. That's probably what is going to have to happen. I just think of it more in terms of shooting. Like, you need shooters. And Yesifu is, on paper going to be one of your best shooters. Brown, you would suppose, is going to be one of your best shooters. You would hope that with a guy like Yesifu and more true point guards on the court, that it becomes easier for a guy like Christian Brown, that maybe he has more spacing on the perimeter, that he's able to knock down shots because he's just getting better looks than he was a season ago. Bryce Thompson's an X factor to me, though. What are you going to be as a sophomore? You were not supposed to be a knockdown three-point specialist, but People uh, that that covered Bryce in high school and recruiting experts, they expected him to be a heck of a lot better shooter than he was this past year. Bryce was, I mean, he was pretty abysmal shooting the ball. And he doesn't have to be Brown or Ochai, but if he's going to play 20-plus minutes a game, he's got to improve that jump shot. Do you know what he shot from three last year? I know it was worse than Marcus Garrett's freshman year, I think. 22%. It was not great. And you don't need to get to 40%, but if you can go from a 22% shooter to a 34% shooter, that is a huge jump, and all of a sudden, it makes you extremely valuable, because I think there's other things that he brings to the table, aside from shooting, that guys like Brown and Ochai didn't necessarily. I think Bryce can be a very valuable piece, and I'm not even close to throwing in the towel on him. I'm expecting him to take a big leap forward, especially if Ochai is gone. I think they're going to count on him to be a big-time player next year. I view Bryce as being like Jalen Wilson this year. You know, it's like kind of a, a nice surprise. With Bryce, it's going to be more expected because he played a bigger role this year, whereas Jalen had the injury that kept him out all season long. Mm-hmm. But I kind of expect that, like, right out the uh, out of the gate. Like, I could absolutely see Bryce Thompson in that season-opening game in the Champions Classic. I, I don't remember who they'll play this year, if it'll be uh, Duke or Michigan State. He goes out there and he puts up 20 points, and we're like, oh, he's arrived. I could see it too. I mean, the guy just needs to add some. He needs to add some size to his frame. I just love the way he plays. Yeah. Like, he that's never, not a kid lacking in confidence, right? That's the thing. Even though he was shooting twenty two percent, like he was never non aggressive shooting. It was like yeah. you left him open immediately. Pull. He never thought about it. Yeah, I like the kid a lot. I think it was sort of a fractured season for him too. Where you started off, the team wasn't playing well, there was a lot of tinkering, you were sort of in and out of the lineup, then you get injured, come back, break your hand, get injured again, come back again. It was not an ideal freshman season, but I'm I'm still very much in on him. And again, I think he was a product of this team not really having an identity. He didn't have a true point guard, uh, so you needed as many shooters out there as possible. If there are, like if you have a guard who can shoot the ball... If you have Yesifu from, uh, let's imagine a scenario like this. Ochai leaves. Ty Ty Washington comes in. Your two starting guards, I will bet anybody any amount of money, your two starting guards will be Ty Ty Washington and Joseph Yesifu. I will bet you any amount of money 
that those two guys will start. If Ochai is gone, I would guess that Bryce Thompson would be the favorite to be that third guy. If you don't get if you don't get Ty Ty Washington and it's Yesifu and then you have to start two guards, Christian Brown's still going to be a starter because you still need that shooting. If you're not requiring Bryce Thompson to be a shooter or whoever is at that position to be a shooter, it can be more of a just give me my best player. Just put the best player on the court. Don't care if he can shoot. Don't care what it does for our offense. I want the five best guys. I am of the belief that Bryce Thompson will be one of the five best players on Kansas's roster next year. That's not without him taking a leap, but I'm expecting that leap to take place. I agree. And I think off the bench, you look at it and say, you know, that shooting you're looking for, you basically have somebody at every position off the bench who can shoot. So it's just like what you need that given night or what the other four guys around it need, fill in that one. You know, if Christian Brown comes off the bench or if Zach Clements comes off the bench or Cam Martin comes off the bench, that's basically a two, three, four, five guy between Brown playing the two or the three that you can bring in there at any of those positions and know they'll be kind of a knockdown shooter for you. We'll talk more about this with Matt Galloway of the Topeka Capital Journal. He's going to join us coming up later. But up next, let's talk to our friend from Jayhawk Slant, John Kirby, talking KU football. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Now that KU has an athletic director, Travis Goff had his introductory press conference earlier this week. We can start moving towards figuring out what's going to happen with this football program. Who better to talk about it with than John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant, who joins us now on the show John, now that Travis Goff is in as the new athletic director, what kind of timeline do you think we're looking at before we figure out what is going to happen with that head coach position for KU football? Yeah, you know, Nick, it's, uh, you know, I don't know if there's an exact timeline. I, I mean, I would definitely say it's days and not weeks. Um, you know, the one thing that's been impressive to me about Goff is, you know, I think some guys come in and they say, this is what I'm doing. I'm landing. I'm going to meet with staff, I'm going to meet with people, and I'm going to go in and start making changes right away. And you don't have to give him some credit, okay? I mean, I know everything's been a whirlwind for him, but, you know, his first day on the job, he's out of football practice, okay? The next day, he's out at football practice on Thursday addressing the team. I mean, if I was a betting man, he'd probably be out there Saturday as well when they practice again. So, you know, I do like his approach in the fact that he's going around, he's talking to the Jones, he's talking to people on staff, he's talking to people about the football program. He wants to make an educated decision. And he, did, he didn't just land and start cutting jobs without actually doing some research and talking to people, which I think that's a first impression right there. I mean, it's a great move. Well, let's start with Jones then, since he is the guy already here. What do you think the chances are that Travis Goff allows Emmett Jones to coach this team throughout the 2021 season? You know, Nick, I just think, okay, number one, the, the, the one thing that Emmett Jones brings you is some continuity, some stability in the program. I believe it's this coming Wednesday, the NCAA is going to approve the one-time transfer for the upcoming season. Okay, so that is going to give players for another season the ability to pack up and leave tomorrow. They, I mean, they don't have to sit out. They don't, now, obviously, you, you want to finish out the semester at the school you're at, but they can transfer anytime, anywhere, for any reason. Okay. They don't even have to, they can just skip, go, and go do it. So, you know, Emmett Jones gives you, it, just follow Twitter. And, you know, there's, there's, he's got support among the players. So I just, 
the the one thing that Goff has going for him right now as an athletic director is a little bit of timing if he chooses to go hire a coach from outside the program. Because the one thing that Kansas has never had before is no competition. Okay? So if, if Goff decides, hey, it's time to go hire from outside the program, he's going to be able to go out and go after some guys without having other programs outbidding him or, or being more attractive. The worry is on the street, Nick, at the end of this year, there, there, this could be a big job opening here, right? So if Kansas is out with eight to 10 other Power Five schools looking for a coach, then they're in a little bit more of a dogfight than they are now. So, you know, hey, Emma Jones, I'm a big fan. Um, I think the players are behind him, and there's definitely some value in Emma Jones. So based off what you just said, you think it's imperative, regardless of what you do, to to make a move now. So if you are in love with Emma Jones, if you've come in and been just blown away by what he's done, then maybe you stick with him. But if not, you're basically saying you have to go and get your guy now and do it when there's an opportunity that won't be there in a couple months. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, Nick, I'll tell you, uh, an athletic director, uh, a Division One athletic director, told me about a week ago. And this was interesting because, you know, I'm not saying this is how Travis Ball thinks, but, but athletic directors on a whole think like this, that an athletic director told me that some ADs would come in and say, hey, let Emma Jones write it out, right? Take the job. Let's let's monitor him. Let's evaluate the program. Give him the upcoming season, and then if you've decided by that time it's time to go in a different direction, then you make your move. You go out and hire a coach in December. And this AD told me it saves you eight months on your clock. Right. So it was interesting. That's how athletic directors think sometimes. Hey, if I let these guys go, I haven't. You know, I'm still on my honeymoon. Right. So then you do it in December. Personally, I think golf is a legit guy. I mean, he is a, he seems a very genuine guy. He's there for the best of what's going to happen to KU. And I don't think you'll have any game playing with him. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see, but I think we know something. Oh, I'd say here in the next week. John Kirby, Jayhawk Slant with us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So if they do decide to go with an outside hire, um, it's a lot of the same names I've heard circulating really ever since this job became available uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, where would you start when looking at potential candidates now that we are sort of really getting into it? Where would you start when looking at names and guys that, that we should really be focusing on? Well, Nick, I'll tell you, I'm starting to feel like an old man here. Um, I've covered KU football for 22 years, seven different head coach searches. And I've gotten to know quite a few guys on every staff that's been here at KU. And the one thing that I've always seen work here is a guy that's tough, a guy that's disciplined, a guy who's a grinder, a guy who can change offenses, fit his personnel. Um, so, and I'm not talking about flash either. I'm just talking about a ball coach. I'm not talking about, you know, and, and this is no knock on anybody that's been hired, but, you know, Charlie Weiss came from Notre Dame and he had, you know, BCS bowl games. Um, Les Miles had a national championship ring. Uh, Turner Gill was a hot name 
I mean, he was a hot name in the coaching. But when you look back on it at Kansas, Kansas is different. You don't have a large recruiting base. You know, you're, you've got to find ways to beat people. And when you look at Mason and Mangino, those guys were a lot more, a lot more substance. Okay. I'm not saying that the others weren't, but that's kind of what they brought in. So I look at somebody like Lance Leopold, okay, at Buffalo. The guy was like 109 and six or something like that in Division Three, and then he takes the job at Buffalo. And they people told him don't take that job because you don't win there. People don't win at Buffalo. So he finds a way to win ten games one year. They lead the MAC in passing. Okay, he loses his quarterback. The next year they win eight games. He leads the MAC in rushing. Okay, so. You know, I've heard stories of people that know him. He's a grinder. He figures out ways to win. He, he changes and adapts to what he has. So, you know, somebody like a Lance Leopold type would absolutely be the type of guy. I, I talked to one person. I said, hey, how's the interview? And they said, you know, he's not going to be the flashy guy. He's not going to get you with a bunch of catchphrases. He just, he is who he is. And so when you look at guys like that, that are running programs. They've shown they can run programs. And I think that's important, Nick, is you've got to find somebody that's figured a way that has seen programs who are down and they've shown they can build them up. Hey, Willie Fritz, Tulane, the guy's done it at several different spots. You know, a lot of people like Willie Fritz, okay? A lot of high school, I just talked to two high school coaches today around Kansas City that like him a lot. Um, you know, he's still got, got some roots here. Uh, you know, Jeff Monken from Army. You know, now, I think that, I think Monken would bring up some interesting discussions because the word on the street is he would absolutely not run the triple option, okay? And, he, you know, he wouldn't have the kids at Army that he's coaching who are incredibly disciplined. So, you know, I, I think there'd be some interesting things around that. Uh, Jay Norvell at Nevada, um, again, good coach. Uh, has shown he can win there, has been around Oklahoma, Nebraska. He kind of knows the region. He's an air raid guy, okay? And his OC, Mummy, is an air raid guy. So it'd be an interesting question. Can you win running air raid Kansas with, you know, trying to get air raid guys in a conference where you're going to be everybody's seventh choice to run air raid? Uh, Chris Creighton, Eastern Michigan. He was at Ottawa University. Turn that thing around. Wherever he's gone, he's won. So I think guys that fit those profiles are the names that I just threw out there. Well, you mentioned Jeff Munkin, who has seen the rise at Army, thanks in large part to the triple option. But as you mentioned, it's been noted that he's not going to run the triple option at Kansas. Where do you come out on that? Because it's a system that served him very well. I would just have questions as to why you would change your offense when it's worked so well for you. Well, Nick, you, I think one of your first problems is, is we just talked about the transfer portal, okay? And when you get into Kansas and you come in and say, hey, I'm going to run triple option, and I don't think Monken would do that. Okay, now you look at the, look at the lineman that Kansas has. You know, Cable Dew is a 6'6", 290-pound kid, and Armage Adams is a 6'6", you know, 300-plus-pound kid. And you start looking at these guys, and, you know, they were, they were recruited for a certain offense. Well, I mean, it's going, to be, it's going to be hard to teach some of those guys cut blocking and blocking for the option and things like that. 
then you look at your quarterbacks and they're going to say, Hey, I didn't come here to run triple option. Your receivers are going to say, I came here to catch ball. Next thing you know, with this one time transfer, these kids are looking to leave and they're looking to leave fast. So I just think running a triple option would be tough here. And I think somebody like Monken, everything I've heard of, the guy can flat out coach, right? So I think that's why he's got the word out and it's kind of circulating that he wouldn't do that. And now it's really difficult because so many of those guys share so many similarities. We don't know. We know what, like the names that have been popped up. And I I know a lot of that was done by um, the search firm that went out and identified Travis Goff as well. But there's a, there's a lot writing on this for Goff. It's not just the first thing that you're doing here. It's really the first big, uh, big consequential decision that you're going to make in your first time as an athletic director I don't know how familiar you are with him or this process in general, but do you view this as a decision that he is going to make himself, or do you think he'll continue to lean on that search firm and finding the right fit? Well, in the end, it's his call. But I also think he's a very smart guy. He's been around Northwestern football. He has seen, I mean, Fitzgerald has just done amazing things there at a place that, you know, the, the, the tradition really wasn't there. I think I looked at Gerald up. He's been to like 10 bowl games in the last 13 years at a place that's, you know, it's tough to win. So he's, you know, he's had some guidance talking to people like that. Um, and, you know, Goff is a guy, I think he's a very intelligent person. So trust me, he's had conversations. He's talked to people about, you know, what it takes. Hey, Goff was here at Kansas when Mangino was getting started. Okay. So, so he's seen a little bit of the blueprint. He's seen the formula that it takes. And I think he knows that, Hey, I've got to go find the best football coach. Not necessarily the guy who walks up to the podium that throws out the glitz and the, you know, the big fancy resume, but somebody that can come in here and take these kids and win football games and build a program from the ground up. Do you view anyone as being a favorite at this point? Oh, I don't know. You know, I mean, you know, they're they're obviously going to get everybody down and start talking to them and and hearing their plans and things like that. And, and you know, with Kansas being the only job open, Nick, I, I think some of these guys who I expect to be in the mix, they're going to be well prepared. I mean, these guys are going to have answers. I think some of these guys are probably calling around, talking to people. Um, you know, somebody told me they thought Leopold has thoroughly researched the Kansas program because, you know, he's, he was the runner up at Bandy. He was the runner up at Illinois. So, you know, he's close to getting a job. So he wants to make sure that he's getting a job that he thinks he can win at. So these guys are all doing their research. Obviously, you know, Willie Fritz being from the area, he knows a lot about the program. So I don't know if there's a leader and, you know, we've kind of pigeonholed ourselves into talking about head coaches and, you know, maybe they look at a coordinator, uh, a guy I'm going to add today to our hot board on our site is Dan Lanning, who is the defensive coordinator at Georgia. Okay. He's from North Kansas city. He's from the area. He knows Kansas city. Uh, a lot of people think he is a, a young up and coming coach. So, you know, maybe a guy like that, I know everybody's talking about head coaches, but maybe a guy like that gets in the mix. You talk about the transfer portal and how you have to be weary of that, knowing that guys could potentially leave if they don't like the guy that, that KU ends up hiring. 
how much of a headache is that? Or is that something that you sort of have to view as a cost of doing business? Like you're not going to make everybody happy and you just have to trust that if you hire the right guy, the players in the locker room are going to get behind that and they're not just going to view it as, nope, you didn't hire my guy, so I'm walking. Well, Nick, you've got to be very wary of the portal and you've got to know. And, and, and there may be some things out of your control because I, I'm telling you right now, there are players at Kansas who are freshmen and sophomore who could transfer to a lot of places. There is some talent in some of these younger classes. These guys have recruited well. They've done it right. Where they've signed about 50 high school kids in two years. That's how you win at Kansas. You recruit high school football players. You develop them. That's how it's been done at Kansas. So the last two years, they've been patient. They've done it right. They've started to build the roster up correctly with kids in the younger classes. Now, you've kind of gotten knocked around the last two years to do it right. So the last thing you really want to do is start going backwards to where you were because you actually have some things going in your way with the way the roster looks. And, you know, I've already heard from some of the coaches inside the program just in these first couple weeks of practice, they're looking out and they're going, hey, we got some Big 12 players in this program. And some of these kids, they're starting to grow up. They're starting to develop. Ben Anakione's done a great job in the strength staff. So there are some pluses right now going on with the way Kansas is being built. Do you imagine that if they do make an outside hire that most of the guys currently on the staff will remain at Kansas? How do you figure out how that's going to work? You know, Nick, I don't know that answer yet. And, and, and I'll tell you what a lot of it's going to come down to. I really do think that out in an interview process, I think one of the, one of the questions will be asked to head coaches or, or any candidate. How many guys do you plan to bring? And how many could you keep from this staff? Give me a number. You see what I'm saying? Because the money, money is going to be an issue. And I don't know what kind of budget golf's going to have. I don't know what kind of buyouts are going to be put in place that he can do. But, I mean, you've got to hire a, re- a recruiting department. I mean, Kansas lost their director of player personnel. They lost their director of scouting. They lost their director of recruiting. They lost their two directors of on-campus recruiting. So that that's going to have to be built up as well. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of things in place that comes down to money. I mean, you know, you got guys on staff. You know, if, if, if everybody's told you're out, my guess is you're definitely in the $2 million range to get everybody out. I mean, you know, we all know that Kansas is facing some budget shortfalls this coming year. They've already had to do that the loan in the athletic department. So I mean, it's not like money's falling off trees right now. He's John Kirby. You can check out his work at jayhawkslant.com. They're going to have all your coverage of this impending KU football head coach decision. John, always appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time today. All right, Nick. Take care. Perhaps the biggest news so far of the offseason for Kansas basketball happened yesterday. And no, I am not talking about the departure of Latrell Giselle, who entered the transfer portal, but I am instead referring to Ochai Abaji, entered his name into the NBA draft. He could still return. He has a few months to make that decision, but in the meantime, KU has to act as if he's not going to be back because you can't wait two, three months and just sit on your thumbs and hope that this guy is going to come back. So what does KU do in the meantime? Let's talk about it with Matt Galloway of the Topeka Capital Journal 
All right, as is, Matt, with Ochai putting his name into the NBA draft, how big of a hit do you think that is to this team's ceiling next year? Well, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a hit. I think he was I think he was probably the team. Well, I, I don't think probably he was the team's best three point shooter. He was a high volume guy, and on a team where you had a number of players who seemed to pass up open three point attempts for whatever reason, uh, even late in possessions, he was the guy that never hesitated to, to fire away. Even though he only had two twenty plus game. Uh, scoring performances last year for KU, it, he was still a guy that stayed aggressive, and I thought he was playing some of his best uh, ball up until the end of the season, right up until the the USC game, which was obviously a struggle for him. I think it's a big hit for KU, and I, I found it interesting that the the quotes that they included in their news release from Ochai's statement didn't include the two probably most telling things to me that he wrote, and they were both. Uh, one thanking the fans who he said he would miss playing in front of, and the other saying he would miss his teammates who he would miss battling with and, and playing alongside. So those two things, when you read those on Ochai's Twitter post, led you to think there's more finality to what he's decided. When you read what KU sent, which was basically everything else that Ochai posted, along with a comment from Bill Self basically saying, like, this is good for him to test the process and see where he stands. Uh, but clearly he has, like, an NBA-type skill set. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm totally unsure about what he's going to decide to do. ESPN lists him, I believe, as, I think, the 66th best available player that they have projected as being a, a potential draft-eligible player in the upcoming draft. So... Uh, that wouldn't bode well for him necessarily as being drafted. Uh, but, you know, uh, maybe another season would improve his draft stock. I, I think that there are definitely things that I can think of that he could improve uh, coming coming back for a year. Probably at the top for that would be just showcasing his athleticism even more. I mean, I, I was of the opinion that he and Tyon Grant Foster were KU's two most athletic players last year on a Jayhawk team that really didn't have a lot of athletes. Uh, and I can not think of many times outside of that Oklahoma game where Ochai showcased that athleticism. And so I would say that that would be the biggest thing that I would say if I were an NBA scout, which I'm not, by the way, uh, I would, I would recommend for Ochai to do if he were to come back, but maybe he'll opt to go pro and uh, maybe he'll have a good combine or uh, get a team to promise him some kind of a position somewhere. But I, I really look at it and I, I would consider Ochai the type of player that would help KU greatly next season because I do anticipate him taking a step forward. I just don't know how NBA ready he is. I'm not sure that he's necessarily NBA ready and it just depends on what guys are looking to accomplish, right? Like, are you going pro because you are just ready to make some cash or are you going pro because you think this is as high as your draft stock can possibly be? And I'll be honest, I've heard from quite a few people who say, yeah, you know, he kind of is who he is. I, I just don't really anticipate him getting any better, which may be true, but I have a hard time believing that's what Ochai is telling himself right now, right? I'm not going right. to get any well, better. Who, who, I mean, who at that age thinks, oh, I'm not going to get any better? I mean, it's just not something that you, you right. think of as a junior in college. Like, well, I peaked. I mean, that <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't believe that. And I think that against inferior competition competition at the college level, I think he could make bigger strides in development than he would as a player that's stashed away in the G League or playing overseas somewhere. That's just my own personal opinion. 
no, I agree with that a hundred percent. But then there's also the 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 dilemma of what do you think it's easier to get better in the league or do you think it's easier to get better in college? I think if you're on an yeah. NBA roster, it's probably better easier to get better in the league. If you're on a G League roster on a two way deal, no guaranteed money, nobody really pot committed to making sure that you find a way to make it work in the league. I'm not sure that it is easier to get better at that mm-hmm. level. It's a question I can't answer for a fact. For a fact, I think different guys are are built differently. I think if nothing else, Udoka proved that you can get, you know, demonstrably better at the college level. I mean, think about the leap he took from being a freshman to a junior, and then the leap he took from being a junior to a senior. I mean, he climbed into the NBA draft's first round because of that. And then I know he had injury issues last year, but he had it a cup of coffee with the jazz and, and a, a small appearance with the G league team before getting injured. So I, I really look at, at that as an example of, and he's a big man, so it's a little different, but I, I don't know. I, I, I've identified things that Ochai could get better at. I, I don't think it's a matter of uh, this is the player he is and he's not going to get any better. I think he, he has the athleticism. We've seen flashes of it to become a more dynamic player, the type of player that uh, is really you know, at the top of every opposing team scouting report, I just don't think he's been that yet. But I think he has the, the capability and the, the talent to be that. I don't think that the player that we saw, even as a freshman, was some kind of fluke. I just don't believe that. I, I think that he has the skills to take that next jump forward, and I just don't buy the argument that he is who he is and he's not going to get any better. I think that he can get better, and I think playing under you know a Hall of Fame coach in one of the most challenging leagues in, in college, I think it's it would make him even better, but you know, he is he is a junior. So, I mean, that's that's usually the year where a lot of guys go. And, I, you know, if he's looking to take a, Wayne, a similar path to uh, Wayne Selden, even though, you know, Selden was a higher-ranked recruit coming out of high school, I I, I think you, you look at that and you say, yeah, that is another path where you can get better at the pro level and, at, and in the G League and, and carve out your own kind of professional path. Um, I, I don't think anybody's looking at it and saying, oh, is going to be starting and playing 35 minutes for an NBA team. Uh, even if he comes back and has the best-case scenario next year. But I do look at it and say that I think there is substantial ground he could gain by coming back next year. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's looking to hear something from an NBA executive or a scout that tells him differently because I, I would have to think that that's the, that's the impression that if not he himself is going into this with, that probably his team or the people around him uh, are going in with and the expectation of looking at the, the projections and the mock drafts and uh, just hearing what the, the league scouts are saying and, and just having that kind of mentality knowing that, you know, what, I mean, what do you have to lose by coming back for an extra year and maybe positioning yourself to be a better asset for a team to, to draft and actually have that commitment to. How good do you think Kansas could be without him next year? I think Kansas could be pretty good without him next year. I, I think they've added a lot of, of significant pieces in the offseason. I think Yesifu is a good add. Um, I think Cam Martin, you know, I've, I've talked to some people who, who cover the MIAA and who are around the MIAA. I think offense is never a question with him. I think it's defense. If he doesn't play at KU, I think it'll be because he just can't figure it out defensively. But, you know, 6'9", 240-pound player, two-time All-American at, at the D2 level, I think he's he's a key piece. And, then you look at the, you know, the two forwards they have in their high school class, uh, Clements and Adams. I think those are those are good pieces for KU to get. And you know, McCormick. I think David McCormick's another player that could take a big step forward. I, 
I agree with the Big 12 coaches in, in awarding David McCormick, you know, Big 12's most improved player. And honestly, I think that that's another award that he could win again as a senior. I think there's still so much room for growth for him. You think of all of the strides he made, and still, I think the top things that uh, maybe this is just me because I'm a negative person and a bad human being, but I think about the you know the missed dunk at Texas. I think about moments like that more than I think of you know strong dominant performances he had. And I just think about the potential that he has to uh, you know get a better grasp on his game and take that next step forward. So. I think KU could get could get, could be pretty good without Ochai. I think without Ochai, the biggest question that KU would have would be its three point shooting. Its three point shooting was bad last year with Ochai. Without Ochai, you're looking and you're saying, okay, Christian Brown, it's time for you to step up. It's time for you to, you know, take off the pull ups and graduate to being a college player. Because too often last year, across a bad shooting year for him, especially late. Uh, he passed up too many opportunities. He passed up too many shots. He faded into the background of games. Uh, he, he showed good hustle and good activity, and I don't think that he ever really coasted or ever took his foot off the gas, but his shot selection for a guy that was supposed to be the team's best shooter going in w- really left a lot to be desired. So if he steps, if, if Ochai steps away, I think it's it's going to be imperative that guys like Jalen and, and Christian take that next step forward as three-point shooters. Because if not, you're going to look at a team that is even worse from three-point range than, than it was a year ago, even with the, the added pieces that they've, they've gotten. When you look at the the offseason maids, which you referenced there a moment ago, um, Yesifu is the first one that comes to mind, mostly because he was the most recent, but also because I think he most specifically fits a hole that Kansas was looking to fill in the offseason in terms of being a sort of dynamic shot creator, playmaker, bucket getter, whatever you want to call him. That's the type of guy that Kansas was missing last year. And whether or not Ochai is back on the roster, guys like him and Christian Brown, and even I think Jalen Wilson and Bryce Thompson, don't you almost expect them to look better next to a guy like that who can draw more defensive attention than anybody on last year's roster was doing? Absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of it de- depends on who is distributing for KU, and I think that that remains to be seen. But I think having Yesufu on the team, he, he is, a, as you said, he's a weapon they didn't have. KU didn't have a single player that could go out and, and just get his own shot last year. And that's kind of remarkable to say for a team that became a three-seed. But, you know, just watching the two games that Yesufu played in the NCAA tournament with Drake, he has that skill set. That is not something that he's going to lack coming to KU. And I think that, you know, you look at his numbers on the surface from his last season and his, his first two years with Drake, you know, at, at, on the surface, as I said, they, they might be a little bit underwhelming, but you need to realize that before his final seven games, he didn't, he didn't play 30 minutes in a single game last year for, for Drake. So he's a guy that, you know, for whatever reason, Drake was stashing. And then, you know, when he got his opportunity to start, I, I believe he played th- at least 39 minutes every game the rest of the way, and he was dynamic. I mean, he was he was a star for them, and and he was a three point weapon. And I think that kind of I mean it, it's it's just weird to say this about a, a KU team, but you know a guy coming in from Drake is going to right away be the the offensive player that you would think that the other teams are going to have to plan for the most. And yeah, I do think that that would that would help out Jalen, and I think that that would help out Christian, but especially in Christian's case, I don't know. I think a lot of that was just a lack of aggressiveness 
And, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not so sure that their problem was not having another weapon alongside them. I think a lot of their problems were just not, you know, pulling the trigger and, and having the confidence to take those shots, even when they, even when they weren't falling. And I think that that, the, the 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 most discouraging thing about Christian Brown's season is I really thought it he got worse as it went on and I don't know if that was a mental thing I don't know if he was dealing with anything but I I think that you know he needs an off season to just clear his head and come back a different player because I do think he has the tools to be right up there among KU's best players for whatever reason it just didn't it didn't click last year at all well I know we're not done yet but. As it currently stands, with the additions that KU has made, how would you summarize the off season here through the first two weeks or so? Yeah, I would. I would say it's a a triple, not quite a home run. I would say if they get Ty Ty Washington, I would say it's a home run. I think that's that's the piece that's remaining out there that you look at and you say, okay, that's you know, watching what he did at that uh, Geico Open Challenge or <laughs> Geico Nationals, I believe it was in Florida. So I I apologize for not having the the name of that off the top of my memory bank, but um, watching what he was able to do on a team that was dealing with some injuries and and uh, you know overmatched against these these traditional powers and in uh, you know I I look at that and I think that he is the type of player that again gives you the the encouragement that he can go out and get his own shot and I also would be I would I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I think Bryce Thompson can take another step forward. I think that I would say the numbers he posted last year as a shooter, a lot of that injury affected, but I would say that's him bottoming out. I think he's the type of player that showcased the ability last year to go and get his own shot. It's just that almost all of them missed. So, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean in saying that, but I think him alongside Yesifu and Ty Ty Washington, I think that is, those are three really strong dynamic pieces of KU can land Washington that I think would I think I think would really bode well for this team. I would I would consider it a, a grand slam of an offseason because when you look at what KU's lost or I guess lost is I guess the best way of putting it. I, I won't put it another way, but you know, they've they've lost four bench pieces that barely combined to play, you know, right around 10 minutes, even far less than that if you take away in Aruna. So I, I don't think KU lost much. What KU lost was potential with some guys and some guys that will probably go elsewhere and have much more success and productivity than they had at KU for whatever reason, probably just because they'll be a bigger fish in a small pond. But I think the, the subtraction so far, when you look at, you know, if you, when you put Ochai to the side, the subtraction so far has been negligible in my opinion not to be mean, but the additions I think have a great deal of potential, and I would I would keep my eye on Ty Ty Washington and see exactly how he unfolds before putting a bow on this class. But I think even without him, I think it's a, it's a strong effort by Self and his staff to really transform this team and, and its identity. He's Matt Galloway. You can check out his work in the Topeka Capital Journal at CJ Online. Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. So Ochai Abaji enters his name into the NBA draft. He still has the chance to come back. He will hire an agent, but still going to be able to maintain his eligibility. And now I guess we just wait and see what sort of feedback he gets from the NBA Combine. And I guess more importantly, what sort of feedback he's hoping to get. What's the feedback that would make him keep his name in the draft? What's the feedback that would 
result in him coming back to Kansas. Let's talk about it a bit with Brandon McAnderson, who joins us now on the show, former Kansas running back now with the Jayhawk Radio Network. BMAC, it seems like uh, the right decision, right, for Ochai to at least get out there and get some feedback from the league? Yes, I think it's a good decision for him, especially with what he projects to be in the NBA. I know he has some idea uh, from flirting with the NBA last year of what the expectation is for, for the type of player he is, and I think it's a wise decision on his part. So for a guy in his position, I know we don't get to make the decisions for them, but if you're giving him advice and you've got to kind of give him a, a line where if it, if it goes over the, if it goes this way, then maybe you keep your name in. If it goes that way, then maybe you come back. What do you think that should be for a kid in his position? So I think that the, the, the one element that I don't think prospects consider enough guys that are deeper into their college career is the prospect of getting overdrafted. Um, that's something that comes from staying in school and having a lot of success, maybe a nice tournament run. But those kind of things do contribute to you becoming possibly a first-round pick, possibly a lottery pick. You know, Davion Mitchell went from not on boards to Chad Ford. Chad Ford had him at six recently, and that was basically just because of the, the tournament run he had. And also he had a great season. So there's always that one-season boom where you could get some guaranteed money and become a real factor and the investment is equal. The other side of that coin is, will going back to your college situation allow you the opportunity to get uh, into a position like that? And with someone like Ochai, I'm not sure. It, I mean, it's honestly, it's tough to say. I would consider him more, you know, like a Corey Kispert to where Kispert's playing off the ball, but all of his numbers went up across the board, and he's pretty firmly considered a first-round pick. So you could take that route to where I'm on a good, I'm one of the best teams in the country. I'm one of the most important players on this team, and now I have a good chance to sneak into that first round. Is does he stick around and stay on the cusp with the hope of something like that happening, or does he take the route where his talent currently sets him, which is you know a three and D guy, a guy that can fit around star players, a guy that can uh, guard wings, a guy that's athletic that can that can help you on the offensive boards and some of these small lineups. So. It's kind of just a matter of what he projects now, and if he wants to project at an even higher rate, does KU give him the best opportunity to do that or just staying in the draft give the best opportunity to do that? I think it's tough for guys like him. Let's say that you know he's a second-round pick, you play on a two-way deal, and you're maybe floating back and forth but spending a lot of time in the G League. I do believe the idea that it is easier to get better in the league because you're now being paid to get better. But there's a difference between being paid to get better on an NBA team and being paid to get better on a G League team where you are sort of looking around and saying, okay, how much longer am I going to be here? How much playing time am I going to get? Am I trying to impress my G League coach or am I going to do different things that I feel like give me the best chance to get recognized by the NBA team? It's just it's not as easy as we make it out to be as opposed to just saying, oh, yep, you're, you're getting paid, so it's easier to get better when you're getting paid. I know it's different for everybody, but that's kind of where I would draw the line, where it's if you're, if you're on an NBA roster, like, you've made it. Like, figure it out. Work your tail off and, and try and find a way to improve there. But if you're going to do it in the G League and, and you feel like you're going to be playing, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game for the main Red Claws every night, I'm not sure that is unequivocally 
a better option than coming back to Kansas where you're going to be the star of the show and you have uh, an equal opportunity to get better at the same things you're going to need to get better at if you're doing it in the G League? Yeah, you say I don't think it's as easy as people think. I think it's nearly impossible. I mean, you, you go to a G League team, and everybody's trying to make a league. So who they're looking out for me. Now, I know that these G League, team, G League teams have affiliates now. But ultimately, every guy that's touching the ball wants to prove that they are better than they were. They want to prove that they can score and all this and that. But you talk about just how complicated it is. There's been players who have not been dominant G League players become everyday NBA players. You know, guys like Caruso. Um, who, you know, was not a scoring threat in the G League, but still worked his way up and is, is part of a rotation. Or a guy like Chris Chioza uh, with the Nets, spent a, lot, spent a lot of time in the G League, found a role as a backup point guard. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to say that, like, there is one version of this. You know, like, I go to the G League, I average 30 points a game, I'm the MVP, now I'm an everyday player. We just saw Frank Mason did exactly that. He did it with efficiency. He had high assist numbers. Uh, he had high shooting percentages. He dominated the league. And then the very next year, he gets his opportunity to get hurt. So it is, it's impossible to determine which one of these paths is going to be best for me. I just hope that he chooses what's best for him as opposed to considering other options about what's best for the team, what's best for the university. He needs to do right now what's best for him because once it comes to your professional career, you've got to be selfish about the choices you make moving forward. If he were to come back for his senior season, do you think it's realistic that he could take another big jump, just like we saw him take from his sophomore to junior year? I go back to the Frank Mason leap where he comes into his senior year. All of a sudden, he is a knockdown shooter. He's got this pull-up game, and it served him so well that he not only was the national player of the year, but all of a sudden became a a draft pick, right? He was an early second-round pick based off adjustments he made in one offseason. Could you foresee a similar jump from Ochai if he were to come back for his senior year. Now, in terms of how astronomically great Frank Mason was that season, you know, sweeping the awards, no. <laughs> but but in terms of making a big leap, yes. I mean, if you look at him from sophomore to junior, sophomore year he plays with Dotson, who was, in my opinion, the best point guard in the country. He got to play off him, but he shot low percentages. It was kind of a new role for him. Steps in this year. You know, one thing he does have is he does have a, a, a mid-range jump shot. That's something that he can hit, which is good for NBA teams because when you want a three-point shooter, you want him to not be able, just be able to shoot threes. You want to be able to take a dribble and make a shot, and you want to be able to finish at the rim. Ochai has the athleticism to finish at the rim and has shown that he can hit a contested mid-range jumper. So he's kind of shown flashes of that. What I liked about what he did this past year was he lowered his turnover rate, which is a big deal for him. I think it went from – over 17% to 9%, which is huge considering that he had more ball handling responsibility last year than he did the previous year. So that shows he's just improved in that area. Now, he still has a ways to go there, but that shows that he's making the right, he's moving in the right direction. Now, insert some of these explosive, accomplished point guards, uh, whether it be Pettiford or uh, Yesifu, the guy they just signed or just committed. Now you've got a situation where he's not even being asked to do all those things with the basketball. So are you going to see an even higher percentage jump in terms of his catch and shoot, in terms of his points per game? Is he going to get easier baskets? Think about how easier the game was with a guy like Devin Dotson. Now KU has the potential to play two or three of those guys at a time. So I think he'll benefit a lot if he comes back. And I think he's a guy that could see a big jump just from getting open shots off of his teammates. 
Talking to Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. BMAC, KU's new athletic director, Travis Goff, introduced earlier this week. And I know we talked a little bit last week about what KU should do with the head coaching vacancy. You and I were, were sort of in agreement that you could do a lot worse than letting Emmett Jones, the interim head coach, coach this team throughout the season, allow yourself a larger window to conduct that head coaching search and sort of make the analyzation at the end of the year. After listening to comments and you know more and more names are being thrown out there as potential candidates, are you still of the belief that that might not be the worst option for Travis Goff? I mean, I don't have a job up there. Nobody cares what I say, <laughs> but I think it's the I think it's the right thing to do, considering the timeline. I just feel like you know I just saw an article today where they were saying that Kansas, why not Kansas run triple option? You're Kansas. You know, this kind of dismissive thing like that, since you're associated with Kansas football, you don't understand football, which is ridiculous. Um, but what I know is this, is that they only have until summer conditioning, uh, a little over a month and a half. There's no, pra- there's no team practice time between May 1st and, let's say, August 6th. So that's, that's three months of time where basically the only chance you would have to be in front of them um, would be team workouts, maybe he can visit seven on seven, but I don't think coaches can even coach during that period of time. So you would have a new head coach and he would have to try to build a staff in uh, a period of time where it's just not possible. So I think it would just benefit everyone to just be patient. You know, that, that old, you know, we're Kansas thing applies here as well is that, you know, we didn't win a game last year and a lot of them were ugly. So, you know, in terms of going backwards, there's no, you know, there's not a whole lot lower you can go. And I say that as a, someone that loves a program and a complete optimist about what's going on in the, at the program right now. But I feel like Emmett Jones is someone that could be a superstar. He's someone that could help him take the next step. He's also someone that you want around here. I mean, the, the job that he's done as a recruiter, the job that he's done connecting to the kids, regardless of who comes in here, that guy is an asset. So give him a fair shake. Let him see what he can do and, and, and let him see what he can build in that time. Maybe the roster's stronger in that time. Maybe it's an even stronger job at that time, you know, because, you know, last year we played a 17-year-old quarterback. I mean, that was a real thing. We played, we played a 17-year-old quarterback in Big 12 football. You know, this guy's going to be older. He's going to have to be, he's going to be in a system that he was for a full off season. So I, I would say give these guys, I think there's some consideration on what's fair to the people currently on the team. And I think it's a little bit unfair to, to, to dangle that carrot of what the future is going to be within months of the season start. You know, and then if you bring this coach in, how much time is he going to be able to do the things that he wants to do? I mean, almost none. So what, what type of success are you setting up that person for? So I think there's multiple elements of what's fair to the coach you're going to hire, what's fair to the players on the roster. And I think if you, if you try to rush a hire through there, I think you could be unfair to both parties. Do you think there's any inherent risk if you are Travis Goff of letting the interim head coach coach this season, just given the fact that he doesn't have any experience coaching at this level? I know he's got head coaching experience from the high school ranks, but do you think there's risk there? Do you think that's something that Travis Goff maybe is is a little bit weary of when trying to make that decision? Well, I think there's definitely risks. I mean, let's say, you know, that this season mirrors the previous few seasons where we're not very competitive. We don't have a chance to win a lot of those games. And, you know, 
you can't preach patience all the time in this particular scenario because that's all that's been preached for 10 straight years. So he can still preach patience, but that may fall on deaf ears. So he's definitely taking a risk um, if he chooses to move forward with Emmett Jones. But I would say that this was kind of the argument I made last time. I think you need to build the athletic program first. Build the program and the image that you see and that you envision for the future. You hire someone that's young like uh, golf, you you know you're going to have give him some rope to work and, and to, to do his thing. So with that being said, let's not rush him into the first major decision and then use that as a strike against him down the road and say, well, he hired so-and-so. Allow him to uh, to have the program stabilized for a bit, build the athletic program and the image that he sees fit, and give him a full season to do that, a full evaluation period, which I think that would be good for him, but I don't think that it's without risk. Now, given the fact that you've already started spring practices, how much does timing matter right now? You're already late in the game. Do you think there is any sort of rush or urgency to get a guy in as soon as possible? No. I think it's the, I think it's the opposite, and this is why I say that. This, I don't know all the details of this transfer rule, but it's basically like a one-time thing where you can transfer without sitting out. It's hard to not imagine that if you make a move like this, you're not going to have players. You're going to have players that are looking at that space and time and saying, okay, things haven't gone great here. I love Kansas. Things haven't gone great here. But I have three months to move on and not have it penalized against me and be able to play this coming season. Would it be better for me to make that move now, given that this is going to be a new staff, a new program, and all those things considered? Or do I try to stick it out and maybe I like the coach? Well, these are kids. You know, like they're not going to be logical. They're not going to be brilliant. They're not going to be completely accurate on everything that they do. So I could imagine that you could have some departures that puts a head coach even further in the hole. So you hire this head coach, and a bunch of people say, man, I got this three-month period. I want to be close to home, or maybe I want to go play for this coach. They recruited me before. Now I'm moving on to take advantage of that, that opportunity where I don't have to sit out. Now your new coach has no time to put in a system and maybe has lost players that he was counted that, that the program and team were counting on to contribute. So it's one of those things where I don't know who's winning in a scenario where you input a coach this late in the game, but I could be wrong. And, and I, I just think it's, it's, it's just a difficult circumstance to put a coach into. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. You know, it's possible. And I think if, if it's the right decision, I think, you know, the administration will move towards something like that. Did you get a chance to hear Travis Goff's press conference? Were you impressed by him? I was. And, you know, I think that, you know, as far as the fan base, I know that the fan base, the, you, the fan base wants to be listened to. The donors want to, want to be listened to. And I thought this was like a check in all those boxes. This is someone that really, really wants to be here. Someone that's a rising star. Someone that uh, history um, suggests that he'll be able to do some of those things here that he did at these other programs in terms of fundraising for specific goals related to football. I mean, you couldn't have hit someone that's actually done it twice in two, you know, fairly difficult places to do it, two places that didn't prioritize those kind of things before he got there. He had his hand in it and contributed in a big way, and he's also a Kansas guy. So I think he checks a lot of boxes, and I think he's the kind of guy that can push this thing forward, and he's really what everyone was asking for. You know, they might have had a different – the person that they wanted might have had a different name, but he's essentially what everyone wanted um, in terms of someone that's related to the program, someone with good experience. So 
someone that could take this uh, program into the future. He's Brandon McAnderson, former Kansas running back, Jayhawk Radio Network. You can hear him here on Fridays on RCST. B-Mac, appreciate you, man. All right, thanks for having me, bro.